The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Something's still kind of... Father, thanks for drawing us here, for giving us opportunity now to consider your word. Will you settle our hearts? Will you gather us here before you and speak and teach, please? Just to sort out the, the difficulties here and give our attention to you. We trust you. Pray you build your church. Maybe you'd open up the scriptures before us now and, and teach. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Did I get it? Good? Okay. Still there. <laughs> I would speak, but it sounds very odd. Those who can't see, they're working on it back at the table there. Okay, maybe? Okay, well, we'll start and maybe we'll tweak as we go. One of the beauties of the American system of government is our Bill of Rights. This document and other related pieces of writing express for us all some foundational realities that we all together have agreed that all the citizens of this country all deserve. How that gets applied, what exceptions there might be in certain situations and so on, that's all for another day. But this much we can, I think, all agree on, that the Bill of Rights is a good thing. Except, perhaps, for the bad human tendency that it feeds. It's kind of produced something in our country that's, that's, that's good, but has fed something else the human tendency towards demanding what's mine. I deserve comes very naturally to us all. Humans are prone towards standing up for our rights, for demanding what should be ours. And once that attitude kind of gets going, it kind of runs. It, it takes on a life of its own, and it's hard to stop. I will leave it for others to debate how all that should get dealt with in civics, but interpersonally, between people, a demanding, entitled, contentious spirit that looks out for the good of number one is often a problem, a big problem, and it can be pretty ugly. It doesn't attain, actually, in the end, the good life that we're all together seeking. Seems like it does. I go get what I think I need, but it doesn't. We fight for our rights to provide for and to protect our good life, but ultimately it doesn't work. And in that context, Jesus is about to say something that seems strangely attractive or perhaps just strange. He's going to tell us that if you want the good life, don't fight for it. Don't seek your rights, but rather be meek. That's actually how to get the good life. Be meek. 
That's what we're going to be considering this morning in the third beatitude, Matthew chapter 5. I still hear a little bit of ring if we could tweak that still a little bit. We're still this morning considering this topic of the good life, where to get it, how to get it, how to acquire it, the kind of life that others would look at and would desire, would envy us having. And Jesus opened that discussion by starting us in kind of an unexpected place with poor in spirit, poverty of spirit, knowing and believing with certainty that I don't have anything, that I am not anything, that I'm actually quite small and unable and dependent on and accountable to God, poor in spirit. And that led then last week to Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, the second beatitude, mourning over our personal sinfulness. We are not just finite, we are also fallen. Sinful before God. And next now, this third beatitude, He's going to turn us from looking just at God and ourselves to now interacting with other people. Verse 5. Let me read it. Third beatitude, and then we'll just break it in half to discuss it in two parts. This is Matthew 5, verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth the earth. We're just going to break that in half and deal with the first part. Blessed are the meek. As we discussed, that word blessed, it's probably best to understand that with a whole phrase rather than with a single word. So when you hear blessed, kind of in your mind, you can, you can kind of say or, or replace it with something like, to be congratulated and envied for your good situation. People would look at you and would say to you then, Congratulations. I wish I had what you have. You have a good life. Man. Congratulated and envied for your good situation. So who is it that's to be envied here? Blessed are the meek. So what does it mean to be meek or what is meekness? Now probably already some of us have a bit of a problem here because when you say the word meek, what pops into our mind is something like something like the phrase meek as a mouse or something like that so meekness is in our minds small and quiet and shy and reserved and absolutely powerless weak so who wants to be mousy not me so i'm out I mean, maybe if I was a librarian or a pastor or something, I could be gentle and meek and mild. But I'm not. I, I'm a team lead at work. I'm the department head. I've got to lead. I, I'm in law enforcement or the military. I've got to be bold and courageous. I'm, I'm a lawyer. I've got to argue for stuff and push things, actually. I'm the quarterback on the football team. I've, I've, I've got to be, like, bold, strong. I'm in sales. I've got to express confidence. I work any other job other than librarian or pastor. <laughs> if I was, maybe, but, but I'm not. And so not only am I not sure that I want to be meek, I couldn't be meek or I'd fail. So I guess this sermon is for somebody else which is good, I'll listen for somebody else, but I'm, myself, I'm out. 
Thankfully, that's not what Jesus is talking about. Moses was anything but small and meek, you would think. He was not shy, reserved, withdrawn. He was the top leader of millions of people for decades, millions of cranky people who had a big task in front of them, and he led them through it successfully over the course of decades. And yet the Bible says of him he was the meekest person on earth. And then David, anointed king from a very young age, all of his growing up years he knew, I am to be king over all of Israel. And all of his growing up years, he was a warrior. Back in the day when combat was with muscles and blades, up close and personal. You don't survive that, let alone succeed in it and lead others in it successfully if you're shy, reserved, retiring, a nobody. He was a warrior for decades, and yet knowing that he was supposed to be king, that it was his right to rule, he did not step forward and take that, but for years said, I'll wait, I'll wait, I'll wait. Meek and a mighty warrior. That kind of thing is all over the Bible. It's clear that meekness and a very public life, even a life of power and struggle and vigor, meekness and that kind of life, they, they happily coexist. It's all over the Bible. Moses, David, they're just, just big examples. But of course, the best example, once again, as always, is Jesus himself. Jesus was a stud. But he's described in the Gospel of Matthew itself. Matthew, think of Matthew 21, a very famous incident when he's riding into Jerusalem, the triumphal entry. Here he is riding into Jerusalem with crowds cheering him, and it says there, Behold your king coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey. And the word humble, that's the word for meek. Translated humble, which tells us a few things about what meekness is. But he's coming humble. Humble, the king, not on a war horse to conquer, but on a lowly donkey in peace. That's how he acts, Jesus behaving meekly. That's a well-known passage. There's another one, though, not about his behavior, but about his attitude, again in the Gospel of Matthew. Chapter 11, 29, we see a marvelous description of Jesus' heart attitude right after he utters some really hard words against those who are willfully rejecting God. Right after that, he indiscriminately invites all people, all people, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Why? Because I'm gentle. There's the word for meek. Translated gentle, another clue. Because I am meek and lowly in heart. That's what he says about himself. I am meek and lowly, humble, not proud, gentle, not harsh. You can come to me and not fear me. 
You can come to me and know you won't be demeaned or put down or tongue-lashed, but instead you will come and you will find you are cared for. I am easy to approach. I am easy to be real with. I am easy to be vulnerable with. I am not demanding and hard and ugly. I am meek. I am for sure mighty. I calm storms. I raise the dead. I cast out evil spirits. I am mighty and I am meek, both. That's Jesus' behavior, and even more so his heart attitude. For sure he's the king, and for sure we have to approach him properly, and for sure there are consequences if we don't. But we see in Jesus meekness. So we have to acknowledge this meekness that we're talking about, it is not separated from any type of job, any type of profession, any type of circumstance in life, it's joined to all of them. It's not only for some personalities, some people who are quiet and some people who are reserved and like to sit and ponder things like librarians and pastors. It's for everybody. It's for all Christians, all of us. It's what we are already, what we are to strive to be more so. So what exactly is it? We see it pictured there in a lot of people in the Bible. But can we explain it? So here's my attempt to give it a brief definition. I'll repeat this a couple times. Meekness is humility before others that doesn't fight for your own, for your own rights and reputation and desires. Meekness before others that doesn't fight for your own rights and reputation and desires. Can you speak for your own? Can you mention them? Can you ask? Oh, for sure, yeah. The key word is fight for, contend. It's humility before others that doesn't fight for your own rights and reputation and desires. Meekness is first this heart attitude of humility, which is then lived out in front of the other people. It starts in the heart, and then it comes out, and when it comes out, it feels like lowliness, approachableness, non-defensive, non-combative demeanor. It's a humble heart that comes out before other people. And in saying that, it, it's helpful to take a half a step back and look at the other Beatitudes that we've already discussed because they frame this. This is third on purpose. There's a, there's a, a, a deliberate structure going on here. We've been dealing with them over the last couple of weeks, and we've seen in one way or another they are all about humility, which itself is a massive note. Jesus describing what the Christian is begins again and again and again with humility. But repeatedly, the first couple of weeks we saw this is humble before God. He began with that, that poor in spirit, realizing me before God. That he's the one who made everything and I'm actually small and weak. I'm broken before him and humbled before him. You think about all that and it, it, it makes you sit down. And then it leads quite naturally to the mourning over sin. The second one, humble over my sin. I realize that I'm not only finite, but I'm also fallen, and I'm humbled to see that even though I am a saved one, even though I am so loved and, and so drawn into such a tight relationship with God, I still am prone to wander, and it is humbling. 
But over and over again, as we talked about those things, I said something like repeatedly, this is just you thinking about you before God. Nothing to do with any other people yet. Just you about you before God. And that now changes. This is now you before other people. It's the natural continuation on. It's it's the ground, the first two are the ground that this third one grows in. It, it's a natural extension. As we bump into other people in the world now, we're going to act like people who have been through points one and two, poor in spirit, mourning over sin, which is why what we're talking about is a Christian characteristic. There are plenty of people in the world that you can look at and say, well, that guy, that gal, they're pretty approachable. They're not really demanding. They're not even a Christian. I mean, they're doing what Jesus said. Actually, they're not. Because what we're talking about here is something that starts in the heart, rooted in poor in spirit mourning over sin. It's a Christian characteristic. Jesus is not only concerned about the externals, how we behave. He's concerned about the heart, and the two are connected. What we're talking about is a a meekness that is a uniquely Christian characteristic. Starts in Beatitude 1 and Beatitude 2. Comes out then into the third. So this is the Christian life. This is the Christian life that is pleasing to God. And the reason that we are this, is that when we've been through the first two, if you've been through the first two Beatitudes, you've actually thought well about yourself, and you're not that impressed with you anymore. Somebody, after last week's sermon, said, that was a good sermon. That hurt, but it was a good sermon. I'm not trying to hurt anybody, and maybe it did hurt, but those two Beatitudes must leave you not impressed with you anymore. Having seen the one who made the billions and trillions, those really big words, right? You say, like, I'm nothing. Uh Uh-huh, right. Thank God you see that. And having seen then the holiness, the transcendence of, of the glorious one, you realize, I'm nothing but a sinner in my best moments. Forgiven, for sure, oh, praise God. But I'm still prone to wander. Humble, for sure. Thank God. And if you see that then, it's, it's not supposed to like hurt you because that's good for you. It's supposed to say, I am nothing. I know me and I'm not that impressive. And so when you step into the world with other people, it's not just that you know you're not supposed to look out for number one. You don't even think you are number one anymore. That never even occurred to me anymore. How would I be number one? Now, you can look around at other people and you can see, uh, 
strengths and weaknesses, abilities, intellect, sure, it's all different, and I have a little more of this and a little bit less of that. But I'm really, I read the first and the second Beatitude, and I got them. They pierced me. And what happens then is you are a humble person now. And then when you engage with other people, you engage with them as a humble person. Not because you're supposed to, but because you just are. To say it all another way, the Christian life that is pleasing to God is first of all a vertical life that says, me, with my eyes set on the Lord, I see him and I see me and I get that. And then that pivots and becomes the same life on the horizontal. I don't like leave him up there. I bring him with me and I see you all through him. I still see me and I still see him and I still know who I am and who I'm not as I interact with you. That's the Christian life. And if you're a Christian, he's worked that into you already. So to some degree, you are meek, more so than you were, for sure. Has to be the case. That, that is the case for you. But it's also what you are to be, to be becoming. And so that means you've got to marinate your mind in the first two Beatitudes so that 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 kind of flavor soaks into you and tenderizes you, this attitude of humility, so that when you bump into people, that's what you are. And if you have power then, as, as a king or a branch manager or whatever, you use that power, and you do use that power. You do. But you use that power for the good of other people, not for your own rights for what's right, what's proper and good. If you are in a position to speak the truth or to confront or to correct some sort of error, you do so. But you do so not with the aim to destroy other people and and tear them down and show them how silly or wrong they are, unnecessarily so, but you do it to, to bring about what is true and right and good in this situation not padding your own resume. If you're in a position where you have to lead and have to make decisions, you you take responsibility for them and and you are willing to, to listen to and to hear contrary views and even criticism. Because you know, I, I make mistakes, I don't know everything. I'm I'm actually not that much. And when things do work well, you share all the rewards. So meekness, humility towards other people that doesn't stand on or contend for my own rights. It doesn't contend for me. It's a, it's a Christian characteristic. It's what we are and what we are to be becoming. So, are you. This is the hard part. I press all that towards you. I put all that out there. I try to explain it a few different ways, but really what it comes down to at the end is, are you or aren't you? To be honest, this is pretty hard for us. Before God, maybe because it's just you and God. But when you start looking at other people, we're going to interact with you in some way that's not right, probably. 
So it gets, it gets challenging, especially if the other person in front of you that you're interacting with is him or herself trying to dominate you, coming at you, pushy, threatening to take from you. That gets hard. So how are you doing at this? Married people, are you meek towards your spouse? Both husbands and wives. We have different ways to do that depending on our, our roles, but we both are to be meek. Are you? Now, critical, critical aside here. There are situations in which domineering, harsh people, maybe even a spouse, we didn't plan to have Beauty from Ashes this morning and this sermon this morning at the same time, but here they are. And so I'm thinking particularly about that context right now for a critical moment here. And in that context, what's often going on is one spouse is counting on the other spouse really, really, really hearing this sermon. Right? So that he, it's not always a he, thankfully Beth, Debbie said that, not always a he, but statistically often it is, so that he can go home and say, see, be meek, don't fight for your own rights, serve me. I'm trying to point this out super clear so that nobody misses this. That's wrong. And actually, meekness can fit right in with speaking and confronting that. Maybe to the person, maybe to somebody else, maybe to a pastor or one of our female counselors in our church or the Beauty from Ashes, maybe to the police, in fact. Maybe you've got to speak to that. That can be actually quite meek. It can actually be completely loving to bring out what needs to be brought out for the sake of change. Don't misunderstand me here. This sermon, misunderstood, can be really dangerous to some people. If you need help sorting that through a little more, like, what was he talking about, me or not? Come talk to me. Come talk to another elder. Come talk to one of the the female counselors available in our church. Contact the church office and you can find the numbers. Critical aside, I'm going to close that aside off and come back because most of us aren't there. Most of us, you just need to hear, meek towards your spouse, yes or no? This is, for a lot of people, this is the context that is most challenging because it's the place you're most likely to just assume and run on in the pursuit of yourself. And the most likely to get irritated when the other one runs on in pursuit of him or herself. Meek with your spouse not defending your own rights, but laying aside what should be yours, laying aside your own reputation in the goal of serving and loving the other. What about your work environment? Wherever you are in your work environment, if you're you're the boss or if you're the entry level, wherever you are, you've got coworkers and people above you and people below you, meek. 
not looking out for number one because I'm aware that I'm actually not number one. I'm humble. Sports teams. I've been around a lot of sports teams because I've had kids who've played a lot of sports. And right beneath the surface of, hey, we're all, all in this together, there often lives a, except for when I'm in this for me. So maybe you're in high school and you're on a sports team. Are you meek on the sports team? Even if, even if you're the leading star, meekness still. that plays with other people, that says, I'm here not to make me look great, but to make us look great, to do what's good and right, and to share all the rewards with you. Every environment. How you doing, Christian? What would people say about you? Would they say, that person right there, they might not use the word meek because they think it's a bad word, but would they say, that person's very approachable. That person's humble. The person receives input. What would God say about you? Would he call you meek? But you say, there I see the meekness of my son growing in him or her. Not perfect, no, 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 but, but increasingly so, beautifully so. Let that ruminate. Maybe God will point out something to you. Maybe God will bring some conviction to you that as you mourn over, you'll say, I'm sorry, Lord, help with. But if we look at that, probably all of us have to say in some way, I need to grow, so How? How do you grow on this? It is very hard. You grow on this by keeping your mind focused on the second half of the Beatitude. In fact, all the Beatitudes work this way. There's, there's a statement that's challenging, and there's a beautiful promise right behind it. Keep our eyes set on the promise, what God says he is doing and will do for us. We trust him to provide for us to give us what we need for life. That takes us to the second point. So the second half of the Beatitude, let me put it like this. God gives the earth and everything in it to the meek for forever. God gives the earth and everything in it to the meek for forever. It's the meek who inherit the earth, nobody else. They get everything, the earth and all that's in it. That's what Jesus says right here, but he did not make it up right here. This is actually a reference to Psalm 37. You can jot that down and look at it later. But throughout that psalm, in several different ways, it makes the same point again and again. A repeated, pretty encouraging message. God promises to give the blessings of his kingdom provision or protection and a place to enjoy that with him. He promises to give the blessings of his kingdom, the earth and everything in it, to the righteous, meek one who trusts him. Again, again, again throughout Psalm 37. The righteous, trusting, meek inherit the earth and everything in it. That's you, Christian. Because it was first Jesus. Jesus. 
In fact, he's the only one who was ever perfectly meek. We can find examples of that, but we can also flip the script a little bit and say, where can we find in David, for instance, where he was looking out for number one? Can you think of any? Yep. And in my life, too. Only one was ever perfectly meek, humble, gentle, and lowly, who didn't defend his rights, the right to be regarded as and worshipped as God. If there was any right that should have been delivered, it was that one. But he said, I set that aside, and I come actually to use the power that I have to serve these other people here. I am, I am infinitely approachable. I am, I am deeply, profoundly for them. And I come to lay down my life, to lay everything here on the table, absolutely everything. And what happened is the people in front of him took absolutely everything away from him, including his life. He came meek to use what he had to serve, and they said, we'll take all of that, including your life. He got ripped off according to plan. You know this. I know you know this, but, but think about this. The meek one came meekly. And what happened to him is the thing we're all afraid is going to happen to us when we come meekly. He got completely ripped off. Everything for the good life, including life itself, taken from him. According to plan, why? Because God wanted to put you into Psalm 37 and guarantee that you wouldn't get ripped off. That's the only reason Psalm 37 is true of you, Christian, and it is true of you, Christian. Because Christ came meekly and got ripped off so that you never would, so that in fact all of the blessings of the kingdom would be delivered to you. The earth and everything in it, provision, protection, peace, in a place with the presence of God to enjoy it all for forever. That's yours because of Jesus. How certain is it then? It, completely certain. Everything is yours. You can hear this actually in the language of Paul. Paul talks in a few different places in the New Testament. You can, you can kind of hear this. He, he speaks of how he is poor. He, he has nothing but possesses everything. That's in 2 Corinthians 6. He has nothing. He lost it all, but he possesses everything. What does he mean? When he says, I've lost everything, but I have everything, what he means is not that he actually has much financial resource or a house to live in, but what he means is what he said elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 3, that as a Christian, what's true for him and for all of us, is that everything, absolutely everything is yours. Life and death, present and future, the whole world, all of it is yours, he says there. So what I fear is I'm going to come here and I'm going to go like this rather than like this. I'm going to go like this and it's all going to be taken from me. And Paul says, actually, you have everything. 
all of it, all of it is yours. What does he mean by that? Obviously, he doesn't mean that you've got all the money in the world. Obviously, he doesn't mean that you, you have every bit of protection, you would ever, nothing's going to befall you. No, he means something different than that. You know that. What does he mean? What does he mean? This is critical that you work on this. What does he mean? He means that you sit in his hands and nothing, nothing comes to you or departs from you that doesn't pass through his hands that he in his wisdom and in his deep love for you has determined is worked for your good. He works all things for your good, Christian. Everything is for you. Life and death, present and future. The entire world, the earth and everything in it is for you. For you. If you get your head around that, can you imagine, do you, do you, can you see the, not just the blessing of having all things for you, but the blessing of, of knowing that all things are yours? I have inherited everything, so nothing can befall you that's bad and evil. What are you talking about? I could be robbed and killed. Nothing will befall you that's bad and evil. This is a question of perspective, is it not? Is that evil? Yeah. They mean it to be destructive, and God means it for good. Not God just figures out how to turn it out somehow to be good. They meant it for evil, and he means it for good. That's the pronouncement on Joseph's life, the end of the book of Genesis. That's the pronouncement over every Christian's life. People do things to you. You will come meekly and lay your life down. They will say, thank you. They mean it for destruction, for evil. And God says, I'm in charge. I reign. I mean it for good. It's for you. Their theft, their attack, they're, they're depriving you of right honor. Whatever it is, it's all for you. I will use it. I, I don't maybe even know how he will use it, but he will use it. You can't lose. That's true, and that involves some wrestling with some perspective. But ultimately what he means here, when he talks about inheritance and shall in the future, ultimately we should push this out a little bit further than just the right here and the right now. What he means when he says shall and inherit, and this is critical for forming the right perspective for the here and now. The perspective that the here and now is only here for a little while. Now. Jesus, the Bible repeatedly, everywhere, wants us to lift up our eyes and see what's coming, not just what is here now. 
to see what's coming. There's a time coming when he will deliver to you an inheritance that is now kept for you in heaven. Kept for you in heaven, which means you don't experience all of it now. The Bible often tries to remind us and often calls us to lift up our eyes and and see what's coming, see the certainty of the future, see the one who holds the future in his hand, and to believe now that when we face trouble and affliction here on the earth, we can say, yeah, that hurts. But I know who holds my life. I know who has directed all things now to be for me. And I know who has promised a future when he will wipe away all evil, wipe away every tear, and deliver me to a place that is perfect. That's where real peace is found. That perspective is critical for forming our perspective now. If if that wasn't true, then it really wouldn't be accurate to say that all of this is working out for our good, and then we perish. Christian, maybe the place to, to, to settle here at the end of verse 5, they shall inherit the earth, is to say, mine's the kingdom of heaven, in fact. Comfort is mine, in fact. I have everything. The earth and all that's in it. All for me now. And one day a seat at the table of celebration for forever and ever and ever and ever. People are going to come at me and afflict me. When I, when I don't contend with them, I feel vulnerable. Trust yourself to him who judges justly and who has determined Psalm 37 is true of you. I wipe away the wicked, that's in Psalm 37, and I deliver to you provision and protection and a place with my presence for you to enjoy in peace for forever. That starts right now. It's yours already. Great comfort in living that, in knowing that, and it's coming to you in fullness completely one day. To you who are meek. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Tomorrow and in a thousand years. Blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.